heard him speak out of Scape, and I heard him speak this year at camp during the day session, and y'all are very, very blessed. He's a phenomenal communicator. I enjoy getting to talk with him. I enjoy being here with y'all tonight. I'm very, very humbled and honored to be amongst y'all. Real quick before I get started, I want to give, I felt led to give you my background just a little bit, just so you understand what I'm about to preach tonight is not just a message that I just happened to write up. This is something I'm very, very passionate about. I was called into the ministry for as long as I can remember. I was raised in a pastor's home, and it was very assumed by everybody that I would just take up the family business and just be a preacher. And that was not even the case in my life. I wanted nothing to do with ministry. I wanted nothing. I didn't want to be a preacher. I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want anything to do with ministry. Being raised in a pastor's home, I was very jaded towards ministry. I seen my family get hurt, and I just didn't want anything to do with it. And when I was 19 years old, on uh, August 25th, 2005, I went to Florida, and I was uh, I was with Brother Matt Maddox. Anybody know who that is? I was with him one weekend, and I was still running from my call. And I just, honestly, I went to Florida to meet girls. That was my main reason for being there. And I went to a park uh, near Ybor City. If you know where Ybor City is in Florida, it's the equivalent to um, Burton Street in New Orleans. It's just a terrible place. And while I was down there, I was walking through a park by the day, and I saw uh, three or four young men. They were uh, they were in games. Once I started talking to them, I got to find out that they were actually in a major game there in Florida. And I started talking to these guys, and I just felt led to give them just an impromptu Bible study right there on the spot. And about 15, 20 minutes later, I baptized four young gang members in a water fountain in the middle of Florida. Wow. And... the fourth young man in underneath that water, I was addicted. I just, I could not imagine the weight of changing somebody's life. I could not imagine, as the Bible said, all of heaven rejoices over one who repents. It's just the, the weight that fell on my shoulders. And I remember walking off behind a little building, and I just, I wept, and I cried my eyes out, and I said, God, if this is ministry, then I'll do this. I don't, I don't want to be well-known. I don't need to have a big church. I don't need to preach big rallies. I don't need any of that stuff. I said, God, if this is ministry, then Lord, call me to this. And from 2005 till now, almost 10 years, that is all I have gone after, is seeing somebody's life change one more time. And I prayed over tonight, and I'm praying that I can convey that to you. And I pray that somebody walks away from this. And I hope you never look at another soul the same way. I hope that every time you look at somebody who is not in truth and does not have this, this presence of God that you experience tonight, they don't have this on a weekly basis like you do. I pray that it, it basically keeps you up at night when you see people that aren't filled with the Holy Ghost. And it drives you day after day. I'm not doing this to preach camps. I'm not doing this for any other reason other than to reach the lost. That's all I want to do. So with that being known, if God calls you in a service where we're talking about souls, then I very much suggest you run after it because your life will forever feel fulfilled. I found my wife in the ministry. I'm living my dream right now because of a decision I made 10 years ago. And my life at that point before I stepped into this calling was miserable. And I've had the best life since. So if you feel a call to something, you latch on to it, you tie into your headship, and I promise you God will change your life. With that being said, if you don't mind, go ahead and stand with me. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 10. 
And I'm sure a lot of you know this scripture. It says, And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave him to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I'm going to repay thee. Which now of these, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? When he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go, and do thou likewise. Whatever you do, kingdom-wise, you're going to get repaid for it. Don't ever look at kingdom work as you're going to give more than you'll get back. That's not how God works. Anything you pour into His kingdom is always going to come back. It's going to come back bigger and better than you ever thought right. or imagined. And He says, whatever you do, just go and do something. Do thou likewise. I want to minister to you this thought tonight. Leave no man behind. Just turn to somebody right now and just say that to them. Just, let's not leave anybody leave behind. Anybody behind. If you don't mind, just stretch forth your hands. We're going to pray right now. Lord, in your mighty name, I thank you so much, Jesus, for what you're going to do here tonight, Lord. I prophesy to this room right now that there's going to be a mighty move of the Holy Ghost sweep through this room. Lord, I believe students are going to walk away from this change. They're going to see people, Lord, like they've never seen them before. I pray that you baptize each and every one of us, even myself, God, with an even deeper love for the lost. I pray, Jesus, that you equip us. Lord, equip our minds, make us ready, put the words in our mouth to say In the name of Jesus, we give you all glory, all honor. In Jesus' name, everyone say amen. Amen. You may be seated. No doubt every single one of you have heard this motto before. A lot of you guys, maybe you have thought and you've been interested in joining the military, you have heard this cry, leave no man behind. Maybe it was this very cry that you heard that sparked an interest into military that made you want to aspire after being in the military. I don't know, but Leave no, Ma no Man Behind started after Vietnam by the Army Rangers because there were close to 90,000 soldiers left behind from World War II to Vietnam. 90,000 men were left behind. To put that in perspective, that is almost the entire city of Lafayette. That would be like me waking up tomorrow, walking out, and not a single soul left in Lafayette, completely gone missing, left behind. That's almost the entire city of Lafayette, half the city of Baton Rouge almost. There are 74,000 U.S. soldiers still missing right now in Europe and the Pacific. Their bones still left overseas. Since then, all branches of the military focus intense training on the importance of their fellow soldiers. It's indoctrinated into every soldier in every branch. Leave no man behind. When they leave base training, basic training, they walk away, and this is just impregnated in their brain, in their brain for the rest of their lives. That's all they can think about because it's pounded into them so deeply. Don't leave anybody behind. The U.S. government knew, and they said it's not good enough. We can never leave 90,000 people behind ever again. This was a travesty on our nation. They said we must do something about it. Likewise, today there is an average, if you 
that up for me. There is an average of 752 students per high school and an average of 595 students per junior high. There are 67,000 campuses in the U.S. So that comes out to 25 million students in our nation. This year at Youth Congress, we had about 20, 21,000 students with workers and staff. 21,000 people, and that is including student pastors. That means 24,980,000 students are still lost today. 276 of those, 276,000 of those students try to kill themselves each year. 18,270 are murdered. 40,000 die each year from car accidents. I'm trying, I just want to put everything into perspective for you right now. The UPCI has 4,358 churches in North America and 9,085 ministers. The total Sunday school attendance for the UPCI is 646,304 constituents. And globally, it is 4 million. 4 million total and less than 1 million in America. Let me tell you what that means. The total population of America as of 2012 was 313 million people. That means we have reached less than 1% of America. Actually, 0.2% of America has been reached. 0.2%. These are young people your age that are being left behind, going into eternity without ever knowing about God. We read in, in our text where we're talking about just do something. He's saying there's people that are going to walk by the religious people who are just trying to have good church. The people who are just wanting to have good youth groups, have nice lighting, have good bands and all this stuff. The religious people walked by the lost every single day. My world was rocked last year as I was going to a high school every single Monday. I went in there and I met this young man. His name is Kerry Wynn. Kerry Wynn is from a, a, an Asian family. In fact, his, his mom and dad are both Buddhists. And I went in there and I was talking to him. And at first, Kerry was what you would call awkward. He wouldn't, he wouldn't say anything. He communicates awesome through text. But face to face, he won't hardly talk to you. And talking to him, it just it was very awkward, and I felt like I had to like just draw it out of him. And he would smile occasionally, but he came back, and we had a program at our school on Mondays. He came back every single Monday. So one week we had a big youth event, and I invited Kerry. The youth event was called Converge. And I said, Kerry, why don't you come? And he just kind of gave me a halfway nod, and I said, Kerry, come on, won't you come to church with me one weekend? I said, it's going to be awesome. You're gonna, you might win a T-shirt or something. So lo and behold, when we had our youth event, Kerry showed up. And I was so pumped up that Carrie was there. And I was sitting there, and I heard the, the music go went by. We had anointed preaching, and everything happened, and the altar call came. And I was waiting for Carrie to come to that altar. And Carrie never moved from that altar, just sat there the entire service. And from outward appearance only, I would have simply said, and I did say this, to be honest with you. I said, well, Carrie didn't really get much out of this. This was a bust. Much to my surprise, the following Wednesday, Carrie came back to church on our midweek service, just like tonight. He didn't do anything that night either. I preached, and he just sat there in his chair. He didn't really say anything to me, just saying, old Carrie just kind of looked at me and gave me a halfway nod when I would address him. That was it. Carrie came back another Wednesday. And at this point, I said, boy, you done messed up now. You done come three times in a row. I can, If you can find out how much I love you three times, then I, you, you're never going to get away from me. But Kerry went and sealed his doom, and he came back a fourth Wednesday. And I was in my office, and I was counseling with a student, and I heard a, a little faint knock on my door. 
And I said, come on in. And he opened up the door and stuck his head in. And I heard him speak for the first time. And it was not speaking in tongues, Brother David. <laughs> he stuck his head in that door and he looked at me and said, Brother Aaron. And that blew my mind because I was like, how do you know to call me brother? <laughs> so he stuck his head and he said, Brother Aaron. He said, what's baptism? And I said, hold on. Let me talk to you in just a second. Finished counseling. I walked outside and I said, Carrie, I said, what'd you ask me? He said, what's baptism? And I gave him an impromptu Bible study right there on the spot. And he looked at me and he said, Brother Aaron, I need to be baptized. And I said, Carrie, I agree, and so does Acts 2.38. I said, so why don't we do something about it? Now, him being a minor, we had to get permission from his parents to be baptized. This is when things got interesting. I gave him a, a form to fill out or his parents to sign giving us permission. He went back home, and he called me that evening, and he was so frustrated. His dad would not allow him to be baptized. He said, no. You are Buddhist. You go to temple with us every week. You are not what they are. So I talked to Carrie. I said, Carrie, I'll tell you what. I said, keep on asking him. I said, ask him nicely. I believe in honoring your parents. I said, I'll tell you what you do. After three or four times asking him, I said, Carrie, look, this is what I want you to do. I want you to compromise with your parents. Tell them you will clean your room every day for the rest of your life living in home. <laughs> Tell them you'll wash their car and you'll mow the grass. So he did. He went and told them. And he asked so many times that his dad finally consented. He just finally told him, he said, just stop asking me about baptism. Just do what you want. So on Saturday night, I baptized Carrie in the name of Jesus. Sunday morning, he came to church, and he was filled awesome. with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. Carrie is coming up on one year in church, has not missed a single service yet, has come every service twice on Sundays. He comes at 6 o'clock in the morning to be in church on Sundays. He came to me a few months ago and he said, Brother Aaron, he said, I want to be a student pastor when I grow up. This is one soul amongst hundreds at Cecilia High. I simply gave you one testimony amongst many to let you know that right now, in this day and age, is the easiest time we have ever had to win souls. All right. The easiest time. All I did was I looked at Carrie and I said, Carrie, do you want to be different? Because that's the cry of the generation, isn't it? Everybody wants to be different. Now, why do you think Lady Gaga is so popular? Because not many people are going to dress up in a meat suit and be popular. But if people want to be different, that's what they're going to do. So I told him, I said, Kerry, do you want to be different? He said, yeah, man, I'm tired of being like everybody else. I said, do you want to be peculiar? <laughs> he said, that's exactly what I want. I said, all right, you hang out with me and I'll show you how. <laughs> Lo and behold, he came to me the other day. He's wanting to start a Bible club in his school. And he said, Brother Aaron, he said, it's frustrating. I'm so different. I said, that's what you wanted, Carrie. He said, yeah, but I didn't think anybody would look at me as a Christian. He said, now it's different. I said, Carrie, you wanted to be different. This is what comes with it. Now is the easiest time to win souls than it has ever been in our nation. I wonder how many people we walk past on a daily basis in our mall, in our high schools, on college campuses. We walk past people who are going into eternity without ever knowing God. I hear students talk all the time about that awkward moment. How many have ever said that before? I said that a bunch of times about Carrie. I said, man, that kid is so awkward. I hate talking to him sometimes. He's so awkward. And I made jokes of that awkward moment when Carrie comes up and talks to me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> But then I thought about something. I said, Lord, there's nothing going to be more awkward than standing on the other side of glory right. and my neighbor standing right next to me. Right. And God calls me out and said, how can you never witness to them? That's going to be the most awkward moment in my entire life, is standing before God and every person that I could have impacted and didn't. And God said, why didn't you reach them? What am I going to say to God? What will I say to God? 
What are we doing about the two or 24 million students? No, you cannot reach all 24 million, but I wonder how many of them are in Louisiana right now that are dying to hear this gospel. Right. I had an opportunity to sit down with Carrie, and I asked him, I said, Carrie, I said, what drew you to the school program? And now he talks to me. I'm loving this. But he came up to me, and I asked him that, and he said, Brother Aaron, he said, you and Brother Luke, that's my assistant youth pastor, he said, y'all were different than everybody else. He said, you didn't know this at the time. He said, but I was struggling with depression. He said, and I'd entertain the thoughts of suicide. He said, but you and Brother Luke came on the school campus. And he said, y'all are always happy. Before I ever said anything about the gospel, before I did anything, all I did was just act like my normal self. I'm living an overcoming life. I'm not lost. I'm not dying lost. I have, I have everything God has ever wanted to give me. I'm living a blessed life. And all I did was let people see that. And Carrie saw that in me. And he said, all I wanted was the joy that you had. He said, that's all I wanted. And he said, when I heard about baptism, he said, I'm, I wondered to myself, I wonder if that's how Brother Aaron has the joy that he has. Here's the coolest part. That's what drew Carrie to us. A few months ago, I was giving a Bible study to a young man named Noah. He's 16 years old. And I asked Noah, I always ask this question. I said, what drew you to our youth group? And he said, you know Carrie? And I said, yeah, I know Carrie. He said, I was spending the night at his house. And he said, we stayed up all night playing video games. And he said, Carrie always laughed and cut up. He seemed like the happiest guy in the world. And he said, the other night I was thinking to myself, I want what Carrie has. He said, I want to be like Carrie. I want to just laugh. I want to be joyous. And I looked at him and said, no. I said, would you believe that a year ago Carrie was thinking about suicide? And he looked at me like I didn't have two brain cells to rub together. And he said, Carrie? And I said, yeah, that guy right there. I said, I'm showing you. And Carrie's letting you see what the Holy Ghost can do. We need to stop stressing out so much about what are we going to say, what kind of programs are we going to put into play, and let's just start worrying about letting the Holy Ghost do what it's always done. Amen. The Holy Ghost does a whole lot better than I can preach. The Holy Ghost will speak through you and do things. Just be apostolic. Be full of joy. Let people see that, and I promise you, I've witnessed that people will want that. It's good. But I wonder how many of us are like in Luke where we walk past people, just worried about our religious Wednesday nights, just worried about our, our core group, our core and no more. That's all we're worried about, the religious people. We can quote Bible frontwards and backwards, but we've never taught a Bible study. And I'm not here to put anybody on blast. I'm here tonight to bring some things to your attention. What about the dying world? What about those people who are just laying there, limping and hurting, possibly dying to depression and hurt and different things. Their parents have gotten divorced and they don't know where to turn. I was in a high school last year and this girl came up to me and she didn't know what, what in the world she was feeling, emotions all over the place. And I could tell something was wrong with her. And I said, what's going on? She said, my parents are getting a divorce and I'm not a handler. I tell you what I did. I said, look, I said, I'm a student pastor. All I know is prayer. I said, do you mind if I pray with you? She said, absolutely. Right there in the school gym, I looked at her and I laid hands on her and I started to pray over her, began to pray in tongues over her life because the Spirit makes intercession for things I don't even know what to say. So I'm praying in tongues over this young lady and I watched tears roll down her face. She raises her hands. I never told her to raise her hands. She lifts her hands and she starts crying to God. I'm telling you, when you get a soul winner's mindset, you will go into schools. You won't see people the same. All I see at school is hurting people. That's all I can see. There's a burden that follows tonight. Right. And I'm letting you know right now, you will never look at people the same. 
I want our motto to be, leave no man behind. I, want, I have a video I want to show you all right now. I want to show you what our branch of the military does to young men. This is what they ingrain in them. To give you some background to this story, this is one of the elite uh, branches of the Army. They are the ones who, during Black Hawk, they were the guys who flew in on the helicopter and the Black Hawk down. Anybody ever heard of that movie? That's these guys right here. And they train to go and get people out of hostile situations. They are the elite. They're like the Rangers. And they pound this thought into them daily. Leave no man behind. What you're about to see took place after a grueling 24-hour exercise to where they had to carry missiles and different things from one point to another. And during that time, they were out of sorts. They were just battled and they were weary. And this is what happened. Go ahead and play that for me. It's Black Hawk, a notorious trial by fire in the sword combat skills course. After 10 plus hours of hardcore exertion, Class 1104 is about to learn one of the hardest lessons a soldier ever faces. You have all your people, yes or no? It's a simple question, son. It's a simple question. Not a single man here is aware they are two men down. The class leader and his second in command were kidnapped hours ago. Phil, I'm sorry for yourself. You've left people behind. They don't even know who it is. Exhausted, they can't even ID who was taken. I see the look in your face now. Ain't me, I'm here, and I made it back. I'm done. The POWs are brought out and positioned next to the regiment's memorial for their killed and captured brothers. Nobody in this formation had any idea that the class leader was missing. How does that happen? Everything has been building to this painful moment. Oh, hey! The class turns and confronts the reality of what happens when men are only focused on self-preservation. Instructor Almond leads them through a lesson they'll never forget. This class failed to work as a team and let two of their class members be captured. Now they are POW, missing in action. So we about to write letters home to their families and their loved ones, something that nobody in this organization would ever wish upon anybody serving in the United States Army. No squad! Take out a piece of imaginary paper. Insert it into your typewriter. The class will freeze in the squat position while a letter to each of the families of the missing in action POWs is recited. Sign up to me. Dear, Dear. Mr. and Mrs. Parker. Mr. and Mrs. Parker. Now 
Special Operations Aviation Regiment. It's a reality that must burn in the soul of every man. You're going to go through some very difficult times, and you're going to realize that it's teamwork that will get you through. There are parents, there are wives, and there are children. Bring their man home. Don't fail them. Don't fail yourself. That hit me hard. video for the first time, it rocked my world because I began to think about every single person. You have to excuse me. You realize that I'm going to have to stand before God someday, and I'm going to have to turn to cousins, and I'm going to have to turn to family members. Unless I do everything in my power to reach them, I have to turn to them and say, I regret to inform you. That I was sent with the most beautiful, life-changing gospel. And I was too worried about self-preservation that I did not convey it to you. But that everything that I had, I sold myself that you wouldn't listen. I told myself that you didn't care. And I just convinced myself to never spread this gospel. I convinced myself to keep you at arm's distance. I convinced myself to never go outside my box. I do not want to stand before lost people on that other side of glory and look at them and say, I regret to inform you. I don't want God to look at me and say, do you realize that that was an awesome soldier? Do you realize that that was the next evangelist? Do you realize that that was a church planner? Do you realize that that was a missionary that was never reached? what a burden feels like and I want somebody to grab hold of this because it will change your life. Your prayer lives will change. You will pray for yourself. You're not going to deal with depression. I promise you that because all you'll be seeing is somebody else is depressed and I need to live an overcoming life so that I can help them. You're not going to worry about your little petty issues anymore right. because everybody else has bigger issues and we're just trying to reach them and get them to where we are. We don't realize how great our lives are until we look at the lost. I do not want to look at my Aunt Connie and say, I regret to inform you that I didn't do everything in my power to reach. I don't want to look at my cousin Nathan and say, Nathan, I didn't do everything that I could to preach to you and to love you. I don't want to look at any of the students that I've walked past in high schools and say, I'm so sorry. I was just too shy. I was too timid to give you this gospel. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not that outgoing. I'm just, I apologize. Will you forgive me? I do not want to stand on glory and make excuses. 
I don't want God to look at me and say, do you realize that the biggest church that I could have ever birthed was in the heart of that young man? But nobody ever reached out to him. Somebody just left him behind. In 1990, after we were at peace with Vietnam, the United States started a program called JPAC. Their job was to go and find the bones of fallen soldiers and to return them to their families for burial. The issue is, though, that it's been over 35 years since the war, and it's hard to find the remains of airplanes and different debris. So Sergeant Tyler, one of the people heading up the JPAC program, said this is part of the process. It's hard to find the bones, but we don't stop looking for the bones. She said, we come out here and find something great every single day. But a good day, she said, makes the bad days worthwhile. She said, you can go 29 days digging and searching for bones and find nothing but dirt. Not even one tiny piece of metal. But if you can get that one item that can link to somebody, a personal effect, an ID tag, a watch, maybe a ring, it makes it all worthwhile. And it makes weeks and weeks and weeks of work worthwhile. They are, however, racing a clock. The bones will eventually erode and disappear, leaving it impossible to ever recover the soldiers. And even though the JPAC teams are able to find 70 bones a year, it would take 500 years to find all of the 35,000 whom the Pentagon classes, classifies as potentially recovered. I want to show you something. This is my challenge to you. This is what you do with the burden you're feeling right now. Pull up Ezekiel 37. So the Lord took hold of me and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. This is the problem. The Lord's going to have to get a hold of some of us tonight. When He gets a hold of our hearts, He will transfer you and He will show you people. He's going to start putting students on your mind. He's going to put friends on your mind, family members. He was immediately carried away by the Spirit. When was the last time you felt carried by the Spirit? When was the last time you experienced the supernatural? He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? God is asking the question to this generation. What does your school look like? What does your youth group look like? What does revival look like to you? He said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. Next slide. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you. Now this is him prophesying. And you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. Then skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds, breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. Here's what I'm noticing in this generation. The Lord is calling this generation to a prophetic ministry. I had a vision several weeks ago and I was in my garage and I was standing there and all of a sudden out of nowhere, I was in a long season of prayer and out of nowhere a vision came to me and I was in a cave and I was looking down and I saw hundreds 
of young men and women, and they were all wearing brown cloaks. And I'm going to talk to Strange for a moment because this, this is how God works. And I saw these young people, and they were facing the exit of this cave. And I asked God in this vision, I said, Lord, what am I looking at? God spoke to me very clearly, standing right there in my garage. He said, these are the prophets whom I have called in the end time. And I'm waiting to unleash them on the world. The problem with the prophetic is we haven't gotten control of our tongue with the negative yet. And God cannot trust us with the prophetic because all we do is speak death. He cannot allow us that kind of revival because we haven't learned how to speak life yet. And God honors the voice of the prophet that whatever you say will come to pass because he labeled you a prophet. Here's the problem. If all we ever do is say, my youth group's never going to grow, that person's never going to get their life together, that person's never going to change, we begin to prophesy that and God says, I cannot honor them yet because they don't have control of their tongue. When we get control of our tongue and we say, I speak into the school that revival, mass revival is going to break out. When we come into our youth building every Wednesday and we begin to pray over this, we should be here early praying over every chair. I see so-and-so sitting here speaking in the name of Jesus. I see walls having to be torn down. I see more chairs having to come out. Anytime you speak life, every time you have an opportunity to speak life or death, you always speak life. When you begin to speak those things that are not as though they were, Things begin to happen. Yes, it is that simple. The other day, I had a young man. God spoke to me and said, I'm going to begin to receive help in our ministry. I had a young man move into Lafayette. He's going to UL. In the vision, God spoke to me and said, young, these young men and young ladies will speak to presidents. They will advise presidents. That's what God spoke to me. They will be in the ear of governors and presidents, and they will speak what thus saith the Lord boldly. Had a young man, and I'm just telling you to confirm this, had a young man come, move to Lafayette to attend UL. He's going there to be a lawyer. He came to me one night after a youth rally, and I spoke that vision, and I, he came to me, he was weeping and crying. He came to me and he told me this, and Brother Aaron, he said, you just blew my mind. And I looked at him and said, Andrew, why is that? He said, because three days ago I had a vision. I was standing in a cave and I was wearing this brown cloak and I looked around me and I saw young men and young women. And he said, I looked up on the ceiling and I saw the outline of a man. And I asked God, I said, who is that? And God spoke to me and said, that's my prophet who I've called over you. Wow. I still haven't told him the rest of what God told me. He's going to school to be a lawyer. He, wants, he wanted to be the president. This is his testimony. He wanted to be the president of the United States was his goal, his aspiration. He said, God shook him up one night and told him, he said, you're no longer going to be a president, but you will advise presidents. You will speak into their lives, you'll speak into their ear, and you will begin to speak over this nation, and revival will take place. I'm just telling you this so you don't think I'm nuts. God knows what he's doing, but what are you saying? What are you saying each week? What are you prophesying over yourselves? Are you saying that I can't reach a soul? I can't do anything? I'll never reach my mom or my dad who's lost. I'll never reach my cousin who's backslidden. I'll never reach my brother because they're too far in sin. My friends don't want anything to do with God. I said the same thing about Carrie. I said the same thing about Noah. I said the same thing about a lot of them. Finally, to the point where I just look at anybody and say, I want you to be saved. I'm speaking to your life right now. You're going to be saved. I'm speaking prophecy and anointing over your life. I'm speaking ministry over your life. And our youth group has begun to explode. And all I'm doing is just speaking life and speaking the gospel. Here's the wonderful thing. My opening text that we read from about these people who just walked past this young man who was falling hurt. Just before that, Luke 10 and 2 says this. 
The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. Now more than ever, we need students to get a burden for their classmates. Now more than ever, we need young men and young women to get up off of that mindset of, I'm still learning. I have a different mindset in our ministry. I don't send them off to Bible college and wait for them to come back with an education before they start winning souls and doing something for God. My mindset is not train and deploy. My mindset is deploy and debrief. When you make mistakes, mess up, we'll talk about it. But right now, I'm sending people out. Carrie hasn't even been in church a year yet, and he's teaching Bible studies. We had a young girl. She hasn't even been in church probably six months. She just gave her first Bible study. Her friend came to church, got filled with the Holy Ghost. She's been coming to Connecticut every single week. These are young people who don't know what Bible college is. Carrie thinks I invented the youth (coughs) right He goes to camp, and he said, Brother Aaron, he said, is this converged? Because that was the first youth event he came to. It was one of ours. He said, did you put all this together? And I said, no, this ain't me. But he still thinks I invented the youth rally. These are young people that don't know anything about, they don't know what the UPCI is. They don't know what a section is. They don't know what a district is. They don't know who Brother Cox is. They don't know who Brother Bernard is. They don't know any of that stuff. All they know is their life was changed. And I'm conveying the message of, you need to change somebody else's life now. Because the laborers are few. Now more than ever, since the motto, leave no man behind, was pushed and made as an integral part of military training, the missing in action numbers have dropped significantly. From 35,000 before World War II, there were 126 missing in action in the Cold War. 47 were listed as MIA in the Gulf War, but all but one were recovered because they had that in their mind, leave no man behind. From 35,000 or 90,000 left behind to one. Because it's so ingrained in them, we cannot leave a single person behind. If you don't mind playing some music, I'm getting ready to call an altar call. Only three POWs are unaccounted for from 2003 to 2012 in our current war against freedom. But when all you're concerned about is self-preservation, as that video said, people will die lost. When all we're worried about is just getting ourselves right, constantly. I believe in altars. I believe we need to come to an altar every single week. I believe that we need to visit an altar every single day in our prayer time. I believe in living holy and separate. I believe in all that. I believe in in living a separated life, being holy. I believe in, in being anointed. And I'm not telling you tonight that you don't have to have a bad day. I'm not telling you and laying this burden on you that you can't repent every once in a while and have a service for you. But my pastor always tells me, he said, at this altar call, you get what you need. You spend a little time, but then you dry your tears and you go and pray somebody through to the Holy Ghost. I'll tell you the results of that. Our pastor puts it in us weekly. Leave no man behind. When I moved to Lafayette four years ago, our church was running 243 people. Last Sunday, we had... 496. We've doubled in four years because he conveys to all of us we cannot leave a single soul in Lafayette behind. We cannot walk through Starbucks and just look at people like they've got it all together. We can't go through the mall and we watch people and think that just because they're smiling their life is perfect. I'm able to discern better than that. When I go to the mall and I see somebody smiling, I know deep down if they ain't got the Holy Ghost, life is not grand. I don't care if they've got a million dollars in the bank. Life is not grand until they receive the Holy Ghost. I know that. 
So why would I walk past a single soul and not convey how much God wants to see them in the kingdom? If you'll all stand right now, I'm calling you to an altar of commitment, not an altar of repentance. I don't want you coming up here crying and saying, Lord, forgive me for not reaching as hard as I could. It's not what God wants right now. I don't want